Welcome back to another episode of Confessions from the Sidelines. And I'm your host, Sarah L. Coward. I am so excited to share this episode with you today. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our partners. Privacy laws make it difficult to help your adult children in an emergency. Power of attorney documents for your young adult children is a must-have. These are something you hope you'll never use, but when your adult child has an unexpected health or financial emergency, these documents ensure that you have the power to help. That's why I partnered with Mama Bear Legal Forms, where they make it easy to obtain the proper documents for you as a parent. Click the link in the show notes and be sure to use the code SLC20, that's SLC20, at Mama Bear Legal Forms to get yours today. Your student has chosen their school, they've got their roommate, and now comes the fun part of decorating their dorm room. Dormify is a one-stop shop for everything you need for your dorm room, from furniture essentials to even some amazing storage options. Dormify has just what you need to make the most out of your dorm room space. Head on over to dormify.com to check things out. Be sure to use the code Sarah L. Cowart, that's S-A-R-A-H-L-C-O-W-A-R-T at checkout. Today's guest is Al Borges. Coach Borges has had an extensive coaching career in collegiate football. And on today's show, we get a chance to chat about his new book, Deny of the Tiger. When we recorded the show, the plan was for Coach to hold a book signing here in Auburn the weekend of the LSU game. Due to a delay in releasing his book, he will now be hosting his book signing this weekend at JM Bookstore on Friday afternoon and Saturday morning. Here is my conversation with Coach. Coach, welcome to the show. Good to be on, sir. I'm so excited to chat with you. You know, I, I love saying as I talk to guests on this show, you know, a lot of them are my friends, but I had was involved in so much in sports, not only growing up through college, but then also professionally. It is so fun to see how everything is intertwined and everybody knows everybody. And I think a lot of times people forget that in the sports world. And that's kind of how you and I got connected because you were one of the coaches here at Auburn when I was a student. Yeah. Yeah. You're actually probably the second or third interview I've done like that where they said like one guy, I God, I can't remember his name, but uh, he shot our film when I was here. He, he was in a, a very good interview, asked some great questions, uh, but I've had a couple and so many that were just uh, acquainted with the season, even if they were, and might've been young at the time, might've been older. I don't know, but acquainted with the season and, and that makes it so cool because they can relate right away to, to how it went. Yeah. You know, and, and I went back and looked cause I was like, okay, you know, 2004 season so long ago. And I'm thinking, okay, what, what games were there? Like, when did we play? Who was here? Who was away? And when I looked through, I only missed two games mm-hmm. and there was two away games that I missed, but it was there for SEC championship game and the Sugar Bowl. So yeah. that's what is so fun when I have conversations like this and then also rewinding it back to some of my friends played for you. Okay, that's really cool. It's really cool because, uh, and I talked about, you know, we talk about the book later, but uh, one of my motivations for the book was just the fans, <laughs> the fans, you know, was it uh, when I went back to Auburn this last uh, Iron Bowl, I brought my son back because he wants to go to Auburn and, the fans were so incredible after, you know, 18 years after the fact, you would think that some of that would have worn off, but really didn't at all. It was like it was yesterday. And that was really one of the motivating factors for me writing the book. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, thinking about that, the not only the impact you had on fans, but the impact you had on students as well, because I know a lot of these guys still talk about that time that they played for you. And, you know, a lot of people who listen to the show are parents of high school kids and even some of our high school student athletes who are looking to take their game to the next level, potentially playing at the division one level. You have so much experience, whether, I mean, because you even coached high school to junior college all the way up to these power five schools. What were some of those things you looked for in students when you were recruiting? Well, a burning desire to succeed is at the top of the list. Now, obviously, they have to be athletic enough to recruit them. I'm not kidding myself there. You got to go in there and say, hey, can the, does this kid have the prerequisites to play at the level I want him to? I'm coaching, which, right. is, like you say, at one time was junior college, later on was division two and one double A and all the way up. But that was the starting point. But then that isn't enough to go undefeated. You know, right. you, you know, you're not going to go undefeated. Excuse me, I got the allergies here, but uh, that burning desire to succeed. And that usually was uh, demonstrated in worth, work ethic, and attitude. So when if guys were willing to go that extra yard and, and and be coachable and and understand the dynamic of their situation and not be so selfish that it was all about them, that's what makes players great and event and the byproduct is what makes teams great. Yeah. You know, um, we had Coach Mark Ray on the show last year and he said, you know, there's two things I can control, my attitude and my effort. And I think that's really kind of what you're saying there is like, with exactly. there's, there's so much more. And we say it on the show all the time. It, yes, you need to have that athletic ability and that skill, but it is so much more than just being a star athlete. No doubt. And, and the one thing, uh, and I was to you, I coach a 17 U baseball team. Now that's my deal. Okay. I got my son plays 17 U baseball and this is my life after football. I tell yeah. people if I live to 120, I'll make it to the big leagues. <laughs> there but, you go. But I talked to him about this yesterday is you have to be good. You have to be great at all the things that don't take any talent. It doesn't take any talent to hustle. It doesn't take any talent to be coachable. You know, it doesn't take any talent to work hard. And if you're great at that, then that you fill that void. That void is filled. Now your athletic ability could be all it can be. But if you can't do those things, you'll never achieve what you can achieve because so many kids are athletic, but don't understand that first prerequisite. Right. Oh, that's, that's such good wisdom too, because I'm thinking, um, you know, the conversations that I've had in recruiting and conversations I've had with coaches that they're saying, but they're, this kid's not doing all the right things. And this kid is. And so if they line them up side by side, they're good. The coaches are going to go with the kid who's doing all the right things. It's a no brainer. And you know, what's amazing over my years, I would never mention any names, but the amount of kids we eliminated because they did not possess that ability that were good athletes that could have played or really should have played, but couldn't do the things consistently that took really no talent. Going to school, working your butt off. I mean, there were so many components that go beyond what you did on the field that just we that certain kids fell short on that we couldn't recruit and really wanted to recruit. I'm so glad you brought that up. Everybody that listens to the show knows that I am gung-ho on the academic side of things because, I mean, you have to be academically eligible to play. And it's doing the little things of showing up to class, making sure that you get all these other things checked off, turning in the work on time. All of those little things add up to how you perform on the field. 
Uh, no question. It's 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 a lot of little details and a lot of little work. That's a lot of times you just, you don't want to do. You don't want to do. I I, wish, <laughs> I can't count how many things I did over my lifetime that I didn't want to do. But but because it, it justifies your end, you have to do the things maybe that you're not as crazy about. So you get to do the things you love, and it's that simple. You know, and not not just in athletics, but in anything you do. Oh, 100%. you know. If you, because most most guys aren't going to play in the NFL or play in the major leagues, so they gotta they gotta have a driven lifestyle that's geared to taking care of details and doing the things that take no talent. And I can imagine that 2004 team. Most I would even and correct me if I'm wrong. Ninety to ninety five percent of all those guys on that team did all the little things and did it right. They did they did them right and they did them together and they did them without a selfish mentality. And that's really huge. I mean, uh, you can get a group of talented kids together that are, that are dysfunctional because they sure. don't understand that they got to play for the next, the guy next to maybe sacrifice some things. I used Ronnie Brown as my best example from 2004. Ronnie had been a thousand yard rusher two seasons before. And I think had all the prerequisites to be a very good NFL player, which he proved, mm-hmm. but to make our team go in 2004, Ronnie was going to have to make some sacrifices uh, because I wanted to use him at fullback as well as halfback, which he had never done. Mm-hmm. That meant he had to do what I call some of the dirty work. He had to do some blocking. He, we were going to get him more involved in the passing game, which he loved and was very good at. But because he made those sacrifices, he became really a microcosm, microcosm of our unselfishness within the team. And it helped us in a huge, huge factor in becoming 13-0. and Oh, that's amazing. And, and I know, you know, I've shared with you before is, is my friends played for you, including one person, Danny Lindsay, who I grew up with. And, you know, I remember watching him play on that team and, you know, our centers and O-linemen, they really don't get a lot of shout outs about all the great things they do. No, no, <laughs> it's one of those positions you're truly playing for other guys. And you have to play in concert because there's five of them. They got to, they got to work together. But Danny, is an interesting kid and that Danny really didn't possess NFL skill set, but he was a good college player, very good offensive lineman. But what he did, I kind of uh, put him with a couple other players as an unsung hero. Danny got every ounce of ability that he had in his body. Hugh Nall did an incredible job of coaching Danny and believing in Danny, which is huge because, you know, 90% of coaching is believing in the pupil. And and Danny could play center for us if we got in a pinch. Danny could play center. Could uh, Danny? Danny was a guard, but if we got in a pinch. Could play center. Just was uh, a guy that you could count on week to week to get his job done, and he did it with hard work, great technique, and smart football, and the ability to play with the other four guys next to him. That's so cool. And so, tell us a little bit about because your book, "Deny the Tiger" or "Deny of the Tiger," remind me of the title of that. Deny of the Tiger. Yeah. Deny of the Tiger. Yes. And so that's all about this 2004 Auburn football team. And, you know, tell us a little bit about like why you wrote the book and what should we expect when it comes out so we can really check that out. Yeah. Well, the book was not on my radar, Sarah. I wasn't going to do any books. I just I wanted to show my son Cole Auburn in the best environment that I could think of. And uh, Cole was four, maybe five when he left Auburn. But it's so if I took him to all the baseball games uh, in the offseason and he went to obviously to the football games and 
but he's become an Auburn junkie. He just loves Auburn and he takes a lot of hits from all his friends. Cause they're all Michigan fans. Okay. Right. He, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He loves Bruce Pearl. He loves basketball. <laughs> <laughs> we sit in front of the TV. He'll come over and we'll cuss at the officials, you know, while, while we're watching an Auburn basketball game and uh, followed Auburn baseball all the way to the end. And was, you know, but which is a great year. Guy yeah, what time. a great year for the, yeah. Oh, for the Auburn uh, baseball they, team. Yeah. And then uh, completely, unpredicted you know i but butch thompson since he's been a coach has been incredible uh recruiting and coaching and then uh but and obviously football is a big deal cole doesn't play football but he's loves auburn football so um we, i took him to the iron bowl we went to the game uh it was awesome uh it was a great game the wrong team won but it was a very good game we were entertained and I went, I got one of the radio show before with Andy Bertram and all my boys were there. I had uh, Ronnie, I got Jason and Ronnie interviewing me. You know, you talk about awkward. I kind of got <laughs> right. uh, but uh, God, they're, they're so, they're so efficient. You can tell they've done it. You know, I would, I'm tr- having trouble picturing them doing that when I coach, <laughs> right. uh, especially Jason, because I couldn't understand a word he said, when, but, but uh, so we did that. And then uh, uh, Tim Jackson got us great seats up in uh, club level. Oh, it was awesome. But the whole time I was there, fans were pretending as if I just left yesterday and that we just were 13 and 0. They were so fabulous. I mean, and then I got home and I said, hey, I got to do something. I mean, I'm not an author, not even close, but (laughs) I said, you know, I can write a book about that because it kind of writes itself. I, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I watched all these DVDs of the games. I went back. So I remembered what happened and oh God, it book wrote itself. I mean, it was three weeks. I, I had a, Rough draft. And believe me, when I say rough, it was rough because I, I tell everybody on these podcasts, I'm a long way from Ernest Hemingway. OK, but <laughs> the thing that I wanted to do, Sarah, when I wrote the book is I wanted to write it in a coach's way, like a coach, not like an author. And it wasn't going to be artsy. And I told the publishers, I said, I don't I don't want you to edit out any of this coaching stuff. There may be a little cavalier language whatever, but they need to know that I don't want to belie the authenticity of each scenario. And sure. if, if it, whatever that took, put it, we're going to put it in the book, make sure I don't look like, you know, you gotta, you gotta edit it, make sure my punctuation's good and set the structures. Right. I mean, I don't want to look like a moron, but don't take out any of the stuff. That's me. Otherwise I'm writing a book and just writing another book about the 2004 season, which what they get. There's some really good ones out there with player quotes and all that. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to take you into the huddle because no one else could do that. I wanted to put you in a locker room. I want to take you to the sideline, you know, all those types of things. I wanted you to sense a little bit what the players sense. So I take you through 13 games, how we thought before the game, how we thought during the game, and how we thought after the game, and then the kind of the prelude to the next game. So it builds a little bit to a crescendo to make the case for the deny of the Tiger, really. I don't, I don't talk too much about, well, you know, we should have been the national champions after the fact, although I feel we do. I have opinions <laughs> on that, too. Yeah. But that's not really what the book is more about. The deny the opportunity to play for the national championship after an undefeated SEC season, which is basically unconscionable these days. So right. that's really what it's about and about the synergy of an incredible group of players who put the team before themselves. OK, so we know that the book is out now. And we'll be sure to put into the show notes where everybody can get this book. But I also want everybody to know if they're local to the Auburn area, we're hoping that you're going to be local here to maybe do some book signings. Yeah, I'm fired up about it. Um, yeah, I'm uh, coming on October 1st. 
Okay, for the LSU game, I've talked to the people at Auburn, and I think they're going to set me up with a booth. And I'll do, you know, I'll come Friday and do something anywhere else, you know, that, that people want to do. And I, I'm going to be in town probably for about three or four days. So I want to give everybody an opportunity, first of all, to get the book if they can. I'll have to have some on hand, but I, the only that'll be limited to a degree because I can't tote too many of them. But right. uh, give and pe- give people a chance to read the book a little bit so they can they can actually know what they're signing, you know, because I always tell, I told everybody when I wrote it, I go, these fans are so rabid. It may not even be a good book and they'll buy it, but <laughs> it actually is a pretty good, it's, it's a juicy book. If you're an Auburn fan, it's a Absolutely. good book. If you're just a football and aficionado, but if you're an Auburn fan, it's, there'll be some stories in there. You'll, they'll find very, very interesting. Well, and I think too, because being an Auburn grad and Auburn fan for my entire life, you know, those are the little things that we look at the markers of these great athletes and these students who have come out of Auburn. And it's so fun to go back into those memories and think, Oh yes, this was the time when. Yes. Yeah. And I think you're going to get some of that too. And you know, something else that I wanted to, uh, it's just a sideline. It's really not that important, but uh, is when I came to Auburn being a Californian, okay. Through and through, I mean, I'm from Salinas, California. I tell people that's about as far from Alabama as you can get. But and not just in miles. <laughs> right. so I had a uh, uh, you know a culture change that I had to go through uh, to coach Southern kids because I never coached in the South. I, I you know I had a pretty good feel for it, but I'd never coached in the South. So I went through. I call it my my, my cousin Vinny moment. You know where I was. I had to come in as you know. I'm not from New York like Vinny was, but I'm from California, and it's very very similar. I didn't really know how to dress. I used to wear Hawaiian shirts and they used to laugh at me and look at me like I had 10 heads. I, I couldn't, I couldn't make grits taste good as hard as I tried. I looked at them. Every time I see that in the movie, I just laugh. I go, guy, that's me. I look at that grit and I go, how do you make this taste good? It doesn't work. You know? And then I'd cuss too much. I had to learn to, yeah, you can't, this is a Bible belt. You can't talk like that all the time. I mean, there were so many things that I had to transition. I had to learn. I, you know, I'm a little bit of a chameleon, so it wasn't it wasn't real hard, but it was different and it didn't happen right away. So, uh, and we had to get the team up and running fast because there was a lot of pressure to win when I got here. So there wasn't a ton of margin for error. So, uh, uh, you know, I pretty quick study and, and the kids, there's a lot of talent and some unselfishness, like I said, and that's really what made it go. Oh, that's so good. I'm, I'm excited to have it finally in my hands so that I can read through and just really go back and remember some of those times um, back in 2004. So coach, you know, the podcast is called confessions from the sidelines. And I have a feeling I might know what this response is, but I always ask it to all the guests because sometimes it changes, but what is your favorite memory of standing on the sidelines? Oh God, there's a bunch of them now. There's a bunch of them. Uh, And it depends on where you were, but I was on the sidelines at Auburn. Now, when I was at Michigan, I was in the booth, which is, it's cool, but it's not the same. But the greatest time is after the Georgia game. Oh, my God. That Georgia game is my, in my 43 years of coaching. And I've been asked this, I don't know how many times, what's your favorite moment? And my favorite moment, I always go back to the 2004 Georgia game. And why? Because uh, everything was on the line. You know, the team was uh, undefeated and it came from the ashes. I mean, we were started at, number 17. So there was no noise, you know, nobody was saying, ah, yeah, they were eight and five year. But by the time we had beat Tennessee, uh, 
fifth or sixth game, I can't remember what it was, the noise started. Okay, and up there undefeated, these teams pretty good. And then we started knocking guys off, and we, we were knocking them off good. It wasn't like we were – they were – other than LSU, most of the games weren't real close. So we're getting down to the Georgia game, and Georgia's good. Georgia's got David Green, who's only lost a handful of games since he's been there. They got David Pollock, who's really tough to block. They got so many good players. So it's all on the line, and we had to put together a great plan and then execute the plan both sides of the ball. The defense played every bit as well, if not better than we did. The offense was on time, converting third downs. And finally, when it when it was uh, the name of the chapter in the book is put this in your put that in your B- BCS pipe and smoke it. That's the name of the, the Georgia chapter. And that was obviously uh, Rod Bramlett's uh, encapsulation of the end of the game. But standing on that side and watching those kids celebrate. Undertake with all the pressure to win that football game. Okay. And all the things we did, and as well as we played, was as gratifying as anything I've ever done in my life, never mind my coaching career. So uh I that's probably number one. Watching that celebration was yeah. uh was pretty cool. And I will say the Auburn Georgia game is so special to me every year because I grew up in South Georgia as mm-hmm. an Auburn fan, because my dad went to Auburn as well. And so, and I have family who went to Georgia, it's the whole thing. And so I vividly remember all of these Auburn Georgia games, but you're right. Like that was such a fantastic game. Uh, game day was there. There were, you know, 90,000 of my best friends in the stands and another 20, I think outside one. Right. <laughs> when I got, when I came out, it was like, I'm looking around. There's just people everywhere. People everywhere. <laughs> everywhere and and, and and it was a tough ticket to get but it was a great football great game and and just to you know at that point in the season I knew we were we were the best team in the country I said they're only going to beat us I don't care who it is you can march up Oklahoma USC they're all good and I have great respect for all the programs but I just couldn't see anybody beating that team it would hard for me to wrap my head around yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And if anybody wants to connect with you, where's the best place for them to find you online? Well, I, I encourage everybody to, uh, if they're on Facebook, to befriend me or re- friend request. I will take your request because uh, I, uh, I'm i trying to get the book exposure and just trying to get, uh, you know, get the thing going a little bit. I And I've never, you know, Sarah, I've never been a big social media guy, but if you're going to write a book and you want to, and you want to sell the book, you better become <laughs> yeah. a social media guy. So I'm on mostly Facebook. I have an Instagram deal. I have something on Twitter, but I think Facebook is the best way to connect and stay up on everything, you know, that we're doing with it. So, yeah, well, we'll be sure to link all of those in the show notes, not only your social media contact information, but then also a link for the book so that if people are local um, in town over the weekend of that LSU game, they can come hang out with you and meet you. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. If you have enjoyed today's show, be sure to head on over to your favorite podcasting platform to rate and review the show. And as always, I'll be cheering you on from the sidelines.